This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Last week we took a look at Psalm 18 as well. Today we're going to uh, also be in Psalm 18. The idea last week was we took a look at hope. We're taking a look at hope in our series uh, entitled Sure and Steadfast, which is our theme for this year. And so we've been taking a look at what the Bible has to say about biblical hope. When we talk about hope, we're not talking about wishes or things we uh, hope will one day come to pass. The idea is a confident expectation, something that gives us encouragement for the future based on the character of God and the promises of his word. When we talk about biblical hope, it's something that I have something to look forward to because I know who God is. And that's what we've been taking a look at uh, at in this series, Sure and Steadfast. Last week, we took a look at uh, hope comes from a full commitment. You take a look at verses one and two. Uh, The psalmist here says, my God, my rock, my deliverer, the horn of my salvation. Very personal relationship that he has. And you and I must come to a place a full commitment to Christ if you truly want to experience hope the way that you should. And today we're taking a look at the idea of hope in consistency. We'll take a look at that uh, this morning as well as we go through Psalm 18. Uh, We're starting verse number one. Now, I encourage you to have your Bibles ready. First of all, you should always have your Bibles ready, open, ready to receive the Word. But we're going to take a look at a lengthy passage of Scripture this morning, about 26 verses. And so uh, follow along with me uh, this morning as we uh, take a look at Psalm uh, 18, starting in verse number one. I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. The sorrows of death compassed me. The floods of ungodly men made me afraid. The sorrows of hell compassed me about. The snares of death prevented me. And in my distress, I called upon the Lord. I cried unto my God. He heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry came before him even into his ears. And the earth shook and trembled, and the foundations of the hills moved and were shaken because he was wroth. There went smoke out of his nostrils and fire out of his mouth, devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down, and darkness was under his feet, and he rode upon a cherub and did fly. Yea, he did fly upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his secret place. His pavilion round about him were dark waters and thick clouds of disguise. At the brightness that was before him, thick clouds passed, hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and his highest gave his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. Yea, he sent out his arrows and scattered them, and he shot out lightnings and discomfited them. Then the channels of waters were seen, the foundations of the world were discovered at thy rebuke. O Lord, at the blast of the breath of thy nostrils. He sent from above, he took me, he drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from them which hated me, for they were too strong for me. They prevented me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. He brought me forth also into a large place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands hath he recompensed me. 
For I've kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his judgments were before me and I did not put away his statutes from me. I was also upright before him and I kept myself from mine iniquity. Therefore hath the Lord recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands and his eyesight. With the merciful thou wilt show thyself merciful. With an upright man thou wilt show thyself upright. With the pure thou wilt show thyself pure, and with the froward thou shalt show thyself froward. In my time of pastoring and really serving in full-time vocational ministry, I've seen a lot of people uh, darken the door of a church house. Sometimes people will come in for a little bit and try it out and kick the tires for a while, and then they'll be gone in a few weeks. Sometimes people stick around for a few months or uh, a little while. But the folks that I see that find the greatest source of joy and contentment in Christ are the people who are just consistent. Now, when it comes to being consistent, it doesn't take a great deal of skill or talent to just be consistent. Just show up and do what's asked of you. Not every person is going to get the opportunity to stand behind this pulpit and preach a message on a Sunday morning, and that's okay. Not everybody would be asked to sing a special or a song or a solo or play in the music ministry, and that's okay. Not everyone is cut out to work with children in our children's ministry, and that's okay. And you might even look and say, well, I'm not really sure what uh, my talent, my gift, or ability, or what I have to offer to Christ with my life is. And I will tell you this, you don't have to be talented, you don't have to be gifted, you just need to be faithful and consistent to see God's blessings on your life. I'm just telling you, that's it. There's no secret to having a fruitful Christian life outside of these two things, consistency and obedience. That's it. You want to be walking with Jesus 10 years from now, it's going to require a healthy dose of consistency and obedience in your life. First thing that you're going to have to do is you're going to have to make up your mind who you're going to serve. Again, you see David in Psalm 18, verses 1 and 2 here. He says, my God, my deliverer, my rock, my strong tower, the horn of my salvation. He had already made a decision about the commitment that he was making to God. I'm all in 100%. I own this for myself, my faith. It's really important to me. But walking that out on a day-to-day basis, living out that commitment every single day requires a little bit of work. And so the idea of our mindset kind of sets the direction for our life. And if you're talking about in terms of commitment, commitment breeds consistency. For example... Let's say that I want to start waking up 30 minutes earlier every morning because I want to be more productive or I want to spend time in the Word or something like that. I can make a commitment in my heart and my mind and say, tomorrow morning I'm waking up 30 minutes earlier to spend time with God. That's a commitment that I make. Tomorrow morning I wake up and my alarm clock goes off 30 minutes earlier than I'm used to. Now my commitment must be lived out in consistency. See where we're going with this? It's a daily decision I got to make. Now, in that moment, I don't want to get up. I want to stay in bed as long as I can. I want to hit the snooze as many times as possible. I want to grab all my stuff in a mad rush right before five minutes before I'm supposed to be where I'm supposed to be and run out the door and be 10 minutes late. That's what I want because I'm lazy. I'm a slothful sluggard. That's who I am. But then I remember I've made a commitment. And I want to live out my commitment on a day-to-day basis. 
Because in my uh, more clear state of mind, I wanted to be more productive. I wanted to get up. I wanted to read the Bible. I wanted to spend time in prayer. I wanted to commune with God before I got into the craziness of the day. So I made a commitment. And when the time comes, I just need to be consistent. And so for you, if you want to see God's blessings in your life, you want to experience joy like you've never had before, you want to have hope that fills your soul and anchors you to the rock that is Christ, I will tell you there's a key component that you cannot skimp on, and that is consistency. So take a look at this passage of Scripture. I highly encourage you to take notes and write down some thoughts as we go through this. But first of all, I want you to see in this passage of Scripture, first and foremost, that God is always working on behalf of His children. That should be a great encouragement to us. I remember talking last week in verse number six. Verse number six is just a powerful verse. It says, in my distress, I was so at my wits end. Here's what I did. I called upon the Lord... And my voice went before him. And then it goes one step further. My voice went before him. My voice went into his temple. Then it went one step past that. My voice went into his ears. And just know this, friend. If you're a child of God, every time you cry, your father hears you. And your cries, your prayers go directly into his ears. There's been times before I prayed, I felt like God doesn't hear me. God's not working fast enough. God's not getting it done. But we have promises from God's word that when we cry, our Father hears it. But he takes it one step further. Starting at verse number seven, now God gets into action. I don't know as we read through this passage of scripture, if you were just kind of just following along and reading through it and kind of glazing uh, over and kind of skimming the, the text. But this is one of the most richest poetic passages of scripture. Uh, This would be considered a literary masterpiece for people who didn't even recognize the Bible as being authoritative or supernatural in any way. I mean, you just look at the language that's used in verses seven through eight. Uh, Take a look at verse number seven. So my cries came to God and here's what happened. Verse number seven, the earth shook and trembled. The foundations also of the hills were moved and were shaken because he was wroth. That means God was angry. There went up a smoke out of his nostrils and fire out of his mouth and devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down and darkness was under his feet. Verse 10, he rode upon a cherub and did fly. Yea, he did fly upon the wings of the wind. He made the darkness his secret place. His pavilion round about him were dark waters and thick clouds of skies. At the brightness that was before him, the thick clouds passed, hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the highest gave his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. Yea, he sent out his arrows and scattered them, and he shot out lightnings and discomfited them. Then the channel of waters were seen, and the foundations of the world were discovered at thy rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of thy nostrils." I mean, you just take a look at the rich imagery of this all-powerful God who gets into action. Why? Because David prayed. Think about this. David prayed, and according to this, God literally moved heaven and earth to attend to David's cry. That's how much your father loves you. 
That's how much my Father loves me, that when I cry, it doesn't just fall on deaf ears. God springs into action on our behalf. Again, the idea that God is just kind of sitting up in heaven, like surfing the channel, seeing what's going on in your life, couldn't be further from the truth. God is intimately involved in every detail that goes on in your life. The Bible tells us in Psalm 121, verse number three, he will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. Hey, look, it's a fact. God doesn't sleep. God doesn't get tired. He doesn't take a nap. He is always Willing and ready to hear your prayers. He's waiting on you and I to cry out. And God is always at work on our behalf. I love what one author said one time. He said that God is often doing 10,000 things in your life and you're aware of about three of them. Isn't that true? So many times we can look at our life and kind of see God at work and then we're just kind of wondering like, hey, I guess God's just like waiting around on something. I'm not sure what he's waiting around on. All these things that the psalmist says that God was doing and working on his behalf were completely and totally unseen to the naked eye, unseen to the natural man. They just looked and, hey, I prayed and things aren't happening yet. But God is always at work and always moving on our behalf. I love what it says in verse number uh, 16. He sent from above and he took me and drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from the strong enemy, from them which hated me, for they were too strong for me. They prevented me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. And he brought me forth also into a large place and he delivered me because he delighted in me. I don't know about you, but it blows my mind that God could be delighted in me. Like, I have a hard time processing that. The God up in heaven hears my prayers, is working on my behalf, and sees the way that I live my life and goes, yeah, that's my boy. Yes, get it. That's crazy to me. But that's exactly who our Father is. He's fighting for us. He's working on our behalf because of his love for us. Now, it's important to understand how God interacts with mankind because uh, that helps us to understand really the character of God. And David says some things that are really key in this passage to God's consistency. First of all, when we think about God's grace, God's grace is freely available to all. There's no one that is outside of the realm of being able to receive God's grace. And again, it's important when we we talk about things like grace that we define terms. When we talk about grace, we're talking about God's unmerited, undeserved favor. You and I didn't get anything to get this. It's just because God's good. God gives us his blessings, undeserved, not because we've done anything good, not because we're good people, but because God is good and God is gracious. That gift of grace is available to anyone who would be willing to receive it. Here's the most important thing in the entire world that you need to get. First of all, you and I don't deserve anything from God. We've broken his law. The Bible says we're sinners. There's none righteous, no, not one. You and I have rebelled against God. God gave us rules to follow. We said we don't need those rules. We'll do our own thing. That's who we are. And because of that, God must punish our sin. Because God has a law and laws have to have consequences for those that break them. God set the consequences of our sin as death. It doesn't just mean we're going to die one day on this earth. That happens to everybody and every living organism. It's a matter of dying spiritually as well. That means when you die, 
Hebrews tells us it's appointed unto man once to die, after that the judgment. Every single one of us will one day stand before God, and God will have a book that he opens up to tell who has paid for your sin. Now, if you're paying for your own sin, there's one way that you can do that. You'll be cast into hell for all of eternity, separated from God. That's what you deserve. That's what I deserve because we broke God's law. And please understand, if you die in your sin without having any external uh, interaction with Christ, you will spend eternity separated from God in hell. That's what you deserve. That's what I deserve because we broke God's law. But here's the good news when we talk about grace. God gives us something that we do not deserve because God loves us. For God, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's Jesus. That whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I love Romans chapter 5, verse number 8, puts it a different way. But God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Those words are critical because here's the thing. We were supposed to die, but Christ died for us. If you want to study out some good theological terminology this week, you should write down in your notes, the substitutionary atonement of Christ. What that means, I'll give you the short version of it. You can study it out for yourself later. That means that you and I were the enemies of God, but Jesus wanted to bring peace between us and God. But there had to be a payment for our sin first. So you can pay by going to hell, or Jesus died in your place as payment for your sin and mine, and that payment was applied to our account for those who would believe and receive. And so that's the good news of God's grace. God gives you the opportunity for eternal life. He gives you the opportunity for forgiveness, even though you and I don't deserve it, because he's gracious, but you've got to make that decision for yourself. Nobody automatically goes to heaven. Nobody's automatically forgiven of their sin. You must make a choice for yourself. You must say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that He died for my sins. I believe that He's the only way to heaven. I believe that He rose again the third day, victorious over sin, death, and the grave. And today, I'm putting my faith in Jesus to save me and forgive me of my sins. If you would do that, the Bible says that you can be born again. Now, that's really important because John chapter 3, verse number 3, Jesus says, no man shall enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again. The only way that you can go to heaven is through Jesus. Jesus explains further in John 14, 6. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Now, that's really important to note, too, because any church or religious structure that says there's another way to heaven other than Jesus disagrees with Jesus, okay? If a church says, oh, you've got to get baptized by our church to go to heaven, they disagree with Jesus because Jesus says, I'm the only way to heaven. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. Any church says, oh, you've got to be a member of our church to go to heaven. Jesus didn't say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me and this church. Christ alone is all you need for forgiveness of your sins. And so if there's never been a time in your life where you've been saved or born again, you need to make that day today. 
This is not how to become a Baptist or how to join our church. You don't have to go through a baptism class or a catechism or anything like that. You just need to say, I believe that, I receive that, and I'm asking God to forgive me of my sins, and you could be saved the Bible way. And again, not, it's not how to be a Baptist or how to join our church. It's how to know your sins are forgiven. That is grace, my friend. You and I don't deserve it. You and I could not earn it if we wanted to because that is a gift of God freely given. You see, you can't earn the grace of God because grace and works are mutually exclusive of one another. This is really important. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 11, verse number 6, and if it's by grace, then it's no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. And it's of works. It can't be of grace because then grace is no longer grace. So the two are opposite. Either it's God's grace or it's not. Now imagine I have this really cool pocket knife. It's a, a really cool Kershaw knife that was given to me by a friend for Christmas this year. It's told off. Did you hear that flip out? That just like sounds manly, doesn't it? Like, I enjoy like flipping it like that. And so uh, it's a favorite knife of mine. But let's say I'm going to give this as a gift. I'm going to give it to my friend Tommy over here. Now Tommy, I'm going to give you this knife. It's a gift. No strings attached, just a gift because... I'm good, I'm gracious, but you gotta be in church 52 weeks out of the year or if you miss one week, you have to turn it back in, okay? Would you say that that's a gift? No, it's, it's a reward for perfect attendance and if he doesn't hit the mark, he has to give it back. That's not a gift. Uh, Tommy, I'm gonna give you this knife as a gift, but I need you to get baptized this afternoon. Is that a gift? No, it's a reward for being baptized at that point. And so now we've added conditions to this. Tommy, I'm going to give you this, but you've got to cut my grass this week. You've got to wash my car. You've got to shine my shoes. You've got to do my laundry. Now he's just working to get some pocket knife that he, that, that he may or may not even want, right? But let's just say that I give this to Tommy. Let's say, here's a trick for you. I give this to Tommy because Tommy's really nice. He always smiles. He's friendly. He's a good guy. He loves his wife. He's just a good dude. So I'm going to give this to Tommy. Is that grace? That's a tricky one, isn't it? No, it's not grace. You know why? I'm giving it to him because he's a nice guy. But let's say that Tommy is a wicked, terrible, reprehensible sinner, right? Which I think he would agree. He is. You know why? Because I am too. Wicked, reprehensible sinner. And I say, Tommy, I'm going to give you this not because you're good, but because I'm good. Tommy, I'm giving you this not because you deserve it, but because I am gracious, and all you have to do is receive it. And if he receives it, that is a gift of grace. That's the way God's salvation is. Anytime we tack on works to God's plan of salvation, it's no longer grace and it's no longer salvation. And again, any church that says you've got to be baptized to be saved, you just added a work to God's grace, and now it's no longer God's grace. Hey, you've got you to follow Jesus every day for the rest of your life. If you fall into sin, you'll lose your salvation. Then it's no longer grace. The grace of God is given to us, not because we've earned it, but because our Father is gracious. And God's grace like that is freely available to anybody who would receive it our salvation by being saved, it's not available by merit. It's only available by God's undeserved favor. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says it this way. For by grace are you saved through faith. Grace and faith there. Not of works. It is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. 
You see, if we worked to attain our own salvation, we're keeping a checklist of all the stuff we've gotten done. I might have more on my list than you got. And I get to brag. Maybe I get to wear a, a special pin on Sundays to show how much higher I am than you. But that's not the case. I'm a wretched, desperate sinner in need of God's grace. I have no reason to brag or boast. Paul says, if I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast in the grace of Jesus Christ alone. Because in me, Paul says, in my flesh dwells no good thing. There's nothing good about me to brag. And so God's gift of grace is freely available to anyone who would receive it. Now, if you die without Jesus, if you die in your sin by by dying in your sin, I mean, there's never been a time in your life where you've been saved or forgiven. You need to understand how God deals with your sin because God punishes the wicked. That's a Bible fact. You cannot get around that. God is a God of love. God is a God of mercy. God is a God of grace. God is a God of kindness and compassion. But please do not misunderstand. God is also a God of wrath. God is also a God of judgment. And there is one thing that God hates. God hates sin with every fiber of his being. And when it comes to the wicked, those that live a lifestyle of sin, those that live outside of the grace of God, never having their sins forgiven, God's judgment is coming for them. Job chapter 11, verse number 20 says, And the eyes of the wicked shall fail, and they shall not escape. And their hope shall be as the giving up of the ghost. For the wicked, they'll be punished so hard that they will look forward to death. But for the wicked, when they die, their misery only begins because then they get cast into hell for all of eternity. That's the beginning of the eternity of suffering. Job 21, 17, how often is the candle of the wicked put out? And how often cometh the destruction of God upon them? God distributeth sorrows in his anger. Psalm 9.17 says this, the, the wicked shall be turned into hell and the nations that forget God. Again, the wicked shall be turned into hell. You know, here's the thing. Most people think to themselves uh, that don't really know the Bible, they think, well, hell is reserved for bad people. Okay, I'll give you that, but let me just tell you this as well. <laughs> We're all bad people. Think about that for a second. Hell's for, only for bad people. Yeah, and we're all bad people. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. And the Bible says that God turns the wicked to hell. Again, God's wrath and judgment is upon those who live a lifestyle of sin. Now again, the hope for that, the antidote is Jesus Christ. Psalm 11, verse number 6 Upon the wicked shall he rain snares, fire, and brimstone, and a horrible tempest, and this shall be the portion of their cup. <laughs> if this is your first time at Huikala, first of all, let me say welcome. And second of all, you can go home today and say, the pastor was talking about hell, fire, and brimstone today. Guilty as charged. Hey, look, it's in the Bible. And here's the thing. You and I need to get this straight, too. If we don't explain to an unsaved world that there is a real, literal coming judgment, we're not doing anybody any favors. We're actually paving the pathway for their eternal destruction. We can't be guilty of that. And look, I can say words like hellfire and brimstone and damnation and judgment and do it with a kind spirit and tell you that God loves you and he doesn't want you to go there. I'm not trying to scare anybody into heaven. I'm trying to scare anybody out of hell. I'm just trying to lay the facts out. Hey, look. 
God hates sin, and the wicked will be under God's judgment. That should strike fear in the heart of every Christian, and it should strike a desire for repentance in all those that don't know Christ. But for us as a church, one of the reasons why we put such a high importance on evangelism is because we know that the majority of this world does not know Christ as Savior. That means the majority of them are going to hell. And again, lest we get the spirit of, of, of uh, superiority or something like that, or we get puffed up, uh, please understand this, that just because we're the, a Bible-believing Christian church doesn't mean we're the only people in town with the truth. There's other people that are preaching Jesus and things like that. But hey, look, we need to make sure that people know where they spend eternity. I've met people who've been in church for 40 or 50 years that aren't saved, that don't know how they're going to get to heaven when they die. We have an opportunity and an obligation to share truth with them. The invitation cards that are on your way out every single week of the world by the exit doors have the gospel on them. Sure, it has our service times and, and information, but most important thing is it has the gospel. You can give that to somebody and say, hey, read the back of that whenever you get a chance. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. We get some beautiful Easter invitations that are coming in next uh, weekend. Easter is like eight weeks away, if you can believe that. Uh, but uh, we get some beautiful invites that are coming. Did you know on the back? Three quarters of the back of that is the gospel. You know why? Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to all that would believe, the Bible says. That's where the power's at. So, yes, we need to understand that the wicked, judgment is coming for them. But here's the good news. Jesus is the answer. And Jesus' grace is freely available to all. Now, if you're a child of God, you've been saved or born again, you can't continue to sin and get away with it with God because God also chastises his disobedient children. If you've been saved or born again, you were adopted into the family of God and God is now rightfully your father. And I love the end of Romans chapter five where it says that where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. That you and I, once we're saved, we cannot lose our salvation. Hey, look, if it was up to you and I to stay saved, we wouldn't do a very good job of it. it and again, if salvation is by grace, we don't keep the grace of God by works. And we have to do these works to keep our salvation. Once you are truly born again, nobody can ever take that away from you. We don't find a single instance in all of Scripture where someone was saved a second time or a third time or a fourth time. They're just forgiven. But here's the thing, you might think to yourself, well, if I'm saved and I'm going to heaven and nobody can take that away from me, then I can live ever how I want to. I don't have to obey God. I can continue to live in sin and there's not a big deal. <laughs> Romans chapter six disagrees with you. <laughs> Romans chapter six, verse number one. So what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that God's grace may abound? What's the answer to that? God forbid how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Wait, 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 wait. You've been set free from your sin. Why on planet earth would you want to go back to it? That just doesn't even make sense. No, no, no. You're dead to that. You don't live there anymore. Like, no, moving on now. We can't continue to live there. But what if we continue in sin? God's grace is sufficient for our need. God's grace will forgive our sin. But please understand this. If you are a child of God, you cannot outrun God's chastisement. The word chastisement means loving discipline and correction. It means that as we step out of line, God brings loving, uncomfortable circumstances in our life to get us back on track. 
just as we as parents should lovingly discipline our children. And if you don't lovingly discipline your children, let me explain to you really quickly how it's done. I discipline my children not because I'm mad at them or because they've ruined my day or they've ticked me off. I discipline my children because I love them and their path is destructive, okay? I love them, and when I discipline them, I have to do it out of love. If I can't do it out of love, I need to take a breather, take a break, do it tomorrow, do something, but I can't discipline them out of anger. I discipline them not for the purpose of hurting them or bringing punishment into their life, but to give them a point of reference where we will never cross this bridge again. Are we on the same page? And I'm going to make their life painful for a brief period of time for one purpose, to bring them back to a place of repentance and restoration. You take a look at Revelation chapter 3 as Jesus wrote to uh, the churches. Revelation chapter 3, verse number 19, he says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Hey, look, if your discipline is for any reason other than repentance and restoration, let me just say this, you're wrong. Because our discipline for our children mimics God's discipline for you and I. And God doesn't discipline us because he delights in punishing us. Our sin was already punished when Jesus died upon the cross. There's no punitive payment necessary now for our sin. Our correction is only because of love. Our correction is for repentance and restoration is what God desires Proverbs chapter 3, verse number 12, for whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as the Father whom he delighteth. Hebrews chapter 12 has the lengthiest passage in Scripture that we see on God's chastisement. Verse number 5, it says, and you've forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as sons. For what son is he that a father chasteneth not? But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then you are bastards and not sons. That's heavy language, even in biblical terms. Hey, if you can, let me just lay it out for you. If you can live a lifestyle of habitual sin and rebellion against God and experience zero negative repercussions, chances are you're probably not saved. Who are you to say that? I didn't say it. I'm just telling you what the Bible says because the Bible says if you don't endure God's chastening, then you're bastards and not sons. And by bastards, he means fatherless children. God ain't your daddy. Simple as that. So again, God chastises his children because he loves them too much to allow them to live in unrepentant sin. But here's the good thing that God does for his children as well. God rewards the righteous. Man, God's judgment and wrath is coming on the wicked. God's chastisement comes upon disobedient children. Everyone is open to God's grace, has it freely available to them. Anyone who repents of their sin can receive God's grace and be saved. Any Christian who's wandered off too far can repent and come back to a right relationship with the Father in a split second. I love what the Bible says. I love the fact that our Father doesn't make us go through a road of penance to find our way back to Him. Here's what the Bible says. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh man, that's good. 
see, I don't have to like go through some penance and do a bunch of nice things and maybe God will forgive me. No, no, no. I just need to confess and forsake and move on with my life. No guilt, no shame, no emotional baggage to carry. It's over and done with. You know why? Because the blood of Jesus is so powerful. And it's covered by sin where I'm not responsible for that any longer. What a gift of God's grace is given unto us. But here's the thing. When you and I choose to obey and follow God's pathway, God promises to reward the righteous. Proverbs chapter 10, verse number 28. The hope of the righteousness shall be gladness but the expectation of the wicked shall perish. Though hand join in hand, the wicked shall not be unpunished, but the seed of the righteous shall be delivered. So on one hand, the wicked will not go unpunished, but on the other hand, the seed of the righteous will be delivered. And so God promises his blessing upon those that are righteous. What does it mean to be righteous? It means to obey the Bible, do what he says. Walk right. The word righteous has, carries the connotation of being in the right or doing the right thing. And so look, you want to help yourself in your Christian walk. You want to receive joy and blessing and hope and encouragement. Just live right. Walk righteously. Walk in holiness and righteousness. And when you get off track, and you will, repent and get right back on track. The problem comes is when we get off track and then we stay off track and then we buy into the lie of the devil that our father doesn't really want us back or we can't really trust him any longer and I thought that God was good but now he's not good and we veer further and further and further off track. That's problematic. The moment that you find yourself off track, get right back on. It's easy. Again, it's not a process that you have to go through. Now sometimes walking through repentance will require a process for sure. If you've been rebelling against God for any length of time, you can't just say a prayer and then everything goes back to normal. You have likely have experienced the repercussions and consequences of your sin. It might take a while to dig out of that. You might never dig out of it, but the fact of the matter is, get right with God. You want God's blessings on your life? I know that you do. It comes from walking in righteousness, and it comes from walking in obedience. It's important to understand that God will always do His part. Always, because he's always faithful, but I have to do my part too. Now, this is where sometimes uh, Christian scholars can disagree, but I think it's really, really clear in the Bible that God promises to do his part, and you and I have to keep our end of the bargain as well, which is obedience. Now, there's a couple of of, uh, caveats to that. There's a couple of exceptions that we find in Scripture. One of those is God's covenants. The whole idea of a covenant, we don't have time to get into covenants and all that other stuff this morning, but here's the short version, okay? A covenant is different than a contract in the fact that if two parties agree to an agreement in a contract, one party breaks their agreement, the other party's no longer held liable to it, and the contract is null and void. That's a contract. A covenant is this. Parties agree to an agreement. One party fails on their commitment. The other party determines to keep their end of the bargain regardless. That's a covenant. And so because God created a covenant with Israel, that he would be their God and they would be his people, he kept his end of the agreement even though Israel forsook God. God's still their God. He's keeping his promises because he made a covenant to them. 
Now, you and I, when we were born again or saved, were part of the new covenant that Jesus Christ established with his death, burial, and resurrection upon the cross. This new covenant says that anyone that comes to Christ in faith and repentance can be adopted into the family of God and be born again. That's the new covenant that God's created. So that you and I enter into an agreement with God. If we fail, if we falter, God's covenant promise still stands. Everybody with me so far? Okay. Covenants, doesn't matter what we do, God is always faithful to those promises. But the other category that some people get kind of mixed up on and tripped up on, especially people who struggle with the idea that you and I have free will and the ability to choose our own path and things like that, and we can choose to obey or disobey, uh, they, they struggle with that concept. Sometimes struggle with the idea of the conditional promises that are found in God's word. And so when it comes to God does his part and I need to do my part, what's my part? Okay, you ready for this? Really simple. Obedience. That's it. God does what he does. I simply obey. That's it. So well, what do I do if I like, don't know what God's doing? <laughs> you just obey. Well, what if I don't like what God's doing? Good. You just obey. Well, what if like, I tried to obey, but like that didn't work for me, obviously. So what do I do next? <laughs> you just obey. That's your part. Now, this is difficult because oftentimes we make decisions based on our circumstances, don't we? Well, I could obey in this situation. That would be fine. But if I obey in this situation, it's going to cost me money. It might cost me my job. It's going to cost me respect for my peers. It's going to, hey, just obey and do the right thing. And God promises that he'll bless Again, we take a look at our text this morning, Psalm 18, verse number 20. The Lord rewarded me, how? According to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands, hath he recompensed me. So here we see that God has recompensed or, uh, or given him blessings as a result of his willingness to walk in righteousness it's important to understand that as we look through the Bible, the Bible's chock full of God's promises. On the back table today, if you don't have a copy of it, you should pick up one of these totally free uh, called the Bible Promises Book. There's 1,000 promises from the Bible. And they're arranged by order, like fear or anxiety or frustration or love or things like that. Just different promises throughout the Bible. But you need to understand that many of the Bible promises are conditional and many of God's promises cannot be claimed without first following God's processes. That's really important to, to note. Because when we talk about conditional promises, that means you don't get this promise unless you do the steps first. For example, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. You want to find out what you're supposed to do with your life, what God wants in a situation, how you're supposed to, to deal with something what the next step is. God has promised a way for you to find it. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. And then the promise is what? He shall direct your path. Easy. So many times people come to me and they're just like, Oh, I don't know what to do at this situation. I don't know which way to go. I'm not sure what, which way is up. And I got this. It looks really good. I got that. I'm not really sure about that. I take it from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know all that. I know all that. Yeah. Do you trust in the Lord with all of your heart? Probably like 80%. Okay. That's not all. 
Are you leaning to your own understanding? Well, kind of. Have you gotten out a sheet of paper and written pro on one side and con on the other and filled it out? If the answer to that is yes, you're leaning to your own understanding. Are you putting God first in every single solitary area of your life? Well, no. Okay, so here's what, what happens. I don't go through the process, but I want the promise. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. It's a conditional promise. After you've done those th- three things, God will direct your path. That's a promise. And if you, if you do those three things and he doesn't direct your path, then he didn't keep his promise, which makes God a liar. And if God's a liar, he's not God. If God's not God, Christ is not our Savior. And we're in a whole heap of mess, right? So look, God's going to keep that promise. You can take it to the bank. It's good. But you have to put in the work first for that promise to come to fruition. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 is one of the most often misused, abused, used out of context, misapplied verses, I think, in probably all the New Testament. You see it on coffee cups. God works everything together for good, dot, dot, dot. Romans 8, 28. Just like, those three dots carry so much that you didn't bother to put on the coffee cup, right? Because here's what it says. Romans 8, 28. But we know that all things work together for good. To who? To them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. Those are two really important conditions there. Those that are the called according to his purpose are those that are Christians, those that have answered the call to salvation, those that have repented of their sin and put their faith in Christ as Savior and have been adopted into the family of God. So first of all, that promise is only available to Christians. So your unsaved coworker at work that's going through a tough time cannot claim Romans 8.28. And again, we run into to difficult situations when we misapply Scripture to other people to make them feel better. That's just... It's a whole other path that we don't need to go down. So first condition, you're saved, Romans 8, 28. Second condition is that you love God. That's a conditional promise. And if you remember last week's message, love is always directly linked, love for God is always directly linked to what? Obedience. So let's just take Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for good. To them that love God, if you are living in rebellious sin, unrepentant sin, have turned your back on God, are not living for God, Romans 8, 28 does not apply to you or your situation. You didn't fulfill the criteria of it. If you're not saved, if you're not born again, Romans 8, 28 doesn't apply to you. It's a conditional promise. You've got to meet the conditions of it. You say, well, that's not very nice. I'm just telling you how the Bible works. Because so many times we claim promises that don't belong to us. Well, Jesus has promised that he'll give us everything that we need. Did he? I think what Jesus said was, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things shall be added unto you you got to follow the, the criteria first. If you don't put Jesus first and you're not walking in obedience, you don't get to claim the fact that Jesus just works everything out. It's a conditional promise. I'm trying to help you to understand the Bible. And so as we look through the promises of the Bible, we have to have wisdom. Is this for me or not? And, and we need to be really careful too that when we look at the Old Testament and God makes promises to Israel, 
a lot of those promises aren't directly connected to us as Christians today. There were promises that were given to the children of Israel because they had a covenant with God in the Old Testament. And look, we run into serious problems, serious misunderstanding and misapplication of Scripture when we begin to take things in the Old Testament that were promised to Israel and now apply them to the United States of America and blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. That's America. God bless America. You know, that, that verse applies to us. <sighs> actually, it doesn't. It actually applies to Israel. And then, here's the thing. You take it, and again, you want to go down a rabbit hole of really bad, terrible theology and terrible hermeneutics, right? Research Christian nationalism. Basically, the idea is that Christ is directly intertwined with the United States of America. And the promises that were given to Israel now transfer over to America. Never forget the people that live in Canada or people that live in Mexico. Just only America gets the promises of the Old Testament. Does that just doesn't make sense? No lie. I've seen people with t-shirts and, and hats and stuff like that that say Jerusalem on it. And on the top, the USA is capitalized in Jerusalem. And it's got like stars and stripes on it. It's just like, no, Jerusalem is not America and America is not Jerusalem. We don't get the promises that were given to Israel to adopt as Americans. Again, we need to have wisdom as we parse through Scripture. Now, does the promises that God made to Israel help us understand the character of God? Absolutely. Does God bless America as we walk in obedience? Absolutely. Does God punish America as we celebrate wickedness? Absolutely. But that's not based on the covenants that God made to Israel or promises the Old Testament. It's based on the principles and the character of God. So again, we just have to have wisdom when we process through these promises because a lot of these promises, i got to do my part. And David here says, God recompensed me. He rewarded me according to my righteousness. And consistency in my walk with Jesus allows me to really experience joy in God's blessings. You want God's blessing on your life? Walk righteously. Walk obediently. Not for a couple of days, but a couple of weeks, a couple of months. Do it every single day. You want the blessings that comes from consistency. Hey, look, the guy who, who shows up at Planet Fitness because he paid his $5, he shows up twice a month and gets on the treadmill for 10 minutes and, and leaves twice a month. Is it helping? I'm sure it's better than doing nothing, but is he going to reach his fitness goals? Probably not because he doesn't have the consistency. You show me a guy who's on that treadmill 30, 45 minutes a day for five days a week, he's going to see some serious progress based on consistency. You show up to church a couple times a month, the only time you crack your Bibles in church, <laughs> will you see results? I'm sure it's better than nothing, but you're not going to see the type of results that you would see if you were consistently walking with Jesus every day. And walking with Jesus is more than a Sunday thing. It's an everyday thing. It's a seven days a week thing, a 24 hours a day thing. And that's where we begin to see God's blessings upon our life. You really want to please God with your life. Faith pleases God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number six. It's uh, right in the middle of the, what we sometimes refer to as the hall of faith, great Christians of the Bible. Hebrews eleven six. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. Not improbable, not unlikely, not difficult. It's impossible to please God without faith. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. I love that statement, he is, because he is what? He is the 
I am. He is Jehovah God. He is who he says that he is. He is the God of the Old Testament, and he is the God of all of the promises of the New Testament. So he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and I love the last part of this verse, I love it, and he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He's not a rewarder of those that casually seek him. He's not a rewarder of those that sometimes seek him. Seek him. He's a rewarder of those who diligently, consistently, fervently seek Him. And you want the good stuff that comes from Christianity? Follow hard after God. That's where the good stuff's at. Look, I've, I've done it both ways. I promise you that. I've done the, the dabble in church for a little bit, and only, all you get is just a lot of guilt. In fact, people are like, oh, I don't like going to church because it makes me feel guilty when I'm done. You're just doing it wrong. Because... You should, if you're in church and you're walking with Jesus and the Holy Spirit's inside of you and you hear something that you're not doing well, you should be grieved in your heart that you failed your father. But you should also be incredibly hopeful that God has all the resources at your disposal to get you back on track. And so you should leave with hope and encouragement. Hey, I'm gonna do better this week by the grace of God working at work inside of me. But faith pleases God and you wanna please God, diligently seek after him. He promises to reward you. Next, intentional seeking of God brings his blessing and his rewards. <laughs> Again, it's going to be an intentional seeking. It's going to be a diligent seeking of God. That's what you really want. That's going to bring God's blessings and rewards. But here's the quandary, isn't it? Well, I thought we were talking about the grace of God, God's undeserved, unmerited favor, that God gives us good things and even though we don't deserve it. Absolutely. But it's got this weird balance to it, right? That everything is the grace of God, but God chooses to bless me when I obey him and follow the process that he has set. It's kind of a mixture of both. And we could say that even though God blesses us when we follow the process, it's still just the grace of God for sure. I explained to somebody this way a few days ago. My wife, like, I married, like, way above my head, uh, like, way out of my league. Like, it's funny because had my wife and I known each other in high school, like, she wouldn't have spoken to me, much less dated me. And so I met her, most incredible woman in the world, and we got married quickly because I thought to myself, if she finds out who I am, there's no way in the world I'll get it. So I got I to gotta get a ring on this. I got to get her down the aisle. We got to get it done. And we did. Uh, and so... I would say that God giving me my wife was his grace. I don't deserve it. I still to this day don't deserve uh, her love and affection and the fact that she would choose to love me and serve me all the days of my life. Grace. But I'll say this. The joy and the blessings that have come from two decades plus of marriage, of spending every single waking moment with the same person for over 20 years, and it's still being a joy, still being exciting, still being fun, that's us following the process to choose to love, to choose to serve, to choose to forgive, to choose to walk in repentance, to choose to walk in holiness, to fix what's broken, to allow the Holy Spirit to be at work in our marriage and to be willing to change and submit to one another and to be willing to change as the Holy Spirit guides us and grows us. Hey, look, I'm not the same dude that she married. I got married when I was 21 years old. Like, I didn't know the first thing about love or marriage or anything. But God was gracious, and we chose to follow his path. 
And his path has brought untold blessings, untold joys that come from following his process. Now, I could have the exact same wife done things my way, and our marriage would have been utterly miserable. I would have still been God's grace that he gave her to me, but I'd be miserable living it because I didn't follow the path. So it's not all the grace of God, and it's not all of the things that we do walking in obedience. It's a mixture of the both of those. You want God's blessings? He's willing to give them to you and load you up with them as long as you're willing to walk in obedience and follow his plan. Because God promises if we honor him, he will honor us. I love that. I'm going to honor God, and God's going to honor me. Proverbs 21, 21, He that followeth after righteousness and mercy findeth life, righteousness, and honor. Hmm, how about that? I follow Jesus in righteousness, and he's going to give me honor. Hmm. How about that? It's almost like Jesus says, another, again, another conditional promise. He that will be the greatest among you will be the servant of all. How about that? Hmm. Again, you, when you read through your Bible, you need to really identify what are blanket promises for everyone and what are conditional promises for those who follow after God. You'll find there's a lot more conditional promises in the Bible than you thought. And again, it's always directly linked to our obedience and our willingness to put God first in our lives. I love this idea that walking in obedience takes the pressure off of us and places it back onto God. Again, when you see Psalm 18, where we're at this morning, you see that David was in a rough spot. Saul had tried to kill him in this case. Verse number four, the sorrows of death compassed me. The floods of ungodly men made me afraid. The sorrows of hell compassed me. The snares of death prevented me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. And then we find 10 verses of God getting into action and God moving on our behalf. And then what happens? Verse 16, he sent from above, he took me and he drew me out of many waters. What did David do in that time? We don't really know. I just assume he was waiting on God to do his thing. Because David realized, I'm going to pray and this is all that I can do. Everything else is totally up to God at that point. 100%. And so again, when we allow God to handle everything, it kind of takes the pressure off of me. Hey, what's going on with that situation? I don't know, man. I'm just waiting for the Lord to work. What does that mean? Man, that means I've done everything I know to do, and I'm just going to continue to pray and trust God through this. No pressure on me. I'm trusting God through this. And my father knows better than I do. He's got a plan that's bigger than my plan. I don't know what's going on. I'm just going to trust him and continue to walk in obedience. Psalm 18, verse number 48. He hath delivered me from my enemies, yea, thou liftest me up. Above those that rise up against me, thou hast delivered me from a violent man. Therefore, I'll give thanks unto thee, O Lord, among the heathen, and sing praises unto thy name. I'm going to give this over to God. I'm just going to kind of wash my hands of it and let him have it from here. You can have that kind of hope and peace in your life if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. If you're walking in obedience, you're walking right before God. God really is first in your life. Man, you can leave the rest up to him. I'm not going to sweat this. He's got it. He's faithful like that. But you and I have to be careful. We need to be intentional to guard against heart drift. This is one of the things that gets our consistency off. 
Again, for me, I'm an early riser. I don't like it. People are like, I wish I was a morning person like you. I never said I was a morning person. I'm an early riser. There's a difference, okay? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? I'm an early riser. I get up at 5 o'clock. I'm, I made a decision and probably, I don't know, it's been close to five years now. I get up at 5 a.m. every morning, spend some time in the Word, spend time in prayer. Uh, then I go and work out, and then after that, I take my daughter to school, come back, eat breakfast, and get on with my day. It's just routine. There's still days that the alarm clock goes off after five years at five, five o'clock that I just want to hit snooze, that I just want to turn it off, that I can say, oh, I don't have to get up till 6.30 to take my daughter to school. But what's the difference? Consistency. And consistency is the decision to do what's right even when you don't feel like doing what's right. And that's the case here. Again, we have to choose to walk with Jesus even when we don't feel like it. Yeah, I don't feel like going to church. That's a good indication you should go anyways. I don't feel like reading my Bible today. That's a great indication that you should totally read your Bible today. I don't even know what to pray. Good. Just do your best today. Oh, I don't want to share my faith with my coworker. That means they need it. Again, I'm just going to do what's right, not what I feel. Because if you and I are ruled by our feelings and our emotions, our life will be in great disarray. You can't trust your emotions. You can't trust your feelings. And if your marriage is only as strong as how you feel today, it's just not going to last. But if your marriage is strong because of a commitment that you've made and a desire to walk in consistency day by day, you haven't even begun to see what God wants to do in your marriage. I'm just telling you. We need to be careful because our heart will continue to drift 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17 says, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing that you know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. Peter says, hey, you're doing great, but be really careful. Because all it takes is for your heart to drift and you're right back below where you started. And so just be careful with that. And so again, I've got to get my heart right before God. I've got to get my priorities straight before God. I've got to make that commitment to God and also have to walk in consistency day by day. Three final thoughts this morning and we're done. First of all, faithfulness to Jesus isn't measured in days and weeks, but years and decades. I've talked to people before, again, probably, I don't know, six or seven years ago, I started taking my health seriously. Uh, not because I want to be on a cover of Muscle and Fitness magazine, Pastor World edition, uh, <laughs> but because I, I'm just trying not to die, you know? And so I'm trying to take my health seriously. And sometimes I'll talk to people about their health and ask questions or something like that. And I'll be like, oh, I tried that diet one time. And it's just like, uh, 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 nope. Hey, I got a game I'll play with you. Tell me what diet you're on and I'll tell you how hungry you are, right? Like, seriously, you tell me you're on the Atkins diet. I know you're ready to claw somebody's eyes out because you just want bread, you know? I know that, you know? I'm just telling you. You're on the grapefruit diet. You just want to eat food. You don't care if it's bread or cheese puffs. Like, you just want to eat real food, right? Look, but here's the thing. Well, well, what did you try? Oh, I tried all these fad diets for two weeks, and they didn't work. I lost 10 pounds in two weeks, but I gained it all back. Of course you did. Because it's not about a quick fix. It's about consistency. And hey, just adopt healthy habits. Start walking around your neighborhood. Hey, that's better than doing nothing. Hey, just try to cut back your sugar intake. That's better than doing nothing. Hey, just try reading the Bible for five minutes a day. It's better than doing nothing. Hey, just try showing up for church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. It's better than nothing. 
and do that not for a couple of weeks, not for a couple of months, but a couple of years. And when I really begin to see the power of God in people's lives and when they start hitting like the decade mark, I love, I love who we call a Baptist church with every fiber of my being. Uh, I get opportunities to, to preach at other churches, but I turn down 100% of the invitations I get. You know why? There's no place in the world I'd rather be than here on a Sunday morning. I'm a pastor. We're, we're in this together. You're my people. Like, I'm your people. We're just in this. But one of the things I love about staying in the same place and me as a pastor being consistent is Hui Kala turns nine years old this October. There's people that got saved here at Hui Kala that have been walking with Jesus for almost a decade. And I've gotten to see all of it. Like, like closing in on a decade of their walk with Jesus. That's huge. That's big. But you know how many people have come and walked with Jesus for less than 60 days? <laughs> I lost count, man. Lost count. And the people that quit on Jesus 100% of the time, I promise you this, I don't know every situation, every story, they don't have hope, they don't have peace, they don't have joy, I guarantee you. I'm not saying they, they went to another church that, because what their needs, I'm talking about they quit on Jesus. Promise you, they don't have joy, they don't have hope, they don't have peace, guaranteed, because those things only come from the Holy Spirit. So walk with Jesus and make a commitment. Hey, I'm not doing this for a little bit. I'm doing this for the rest of my life because faithfulness to Jesus can't just be a phase that you're going through. If you're a new Christian, let me just tell you, I'm super proud of you. Keep up the good work. Stick with it. You'll see blessings. If not already, you'll see it in consistency. But just know this. If you just started walking with Jesus or you just decided to get serious about your walk with Jesus and you begin to tell people, please understand not everybody's going to be excited for you as you are, okay? People are going to be discouraging. And one of the things I often hear people say is just like, oh, going through a Jesus phase now, huh? Wonder how long that'll last. <laughs> Probably about as long as that time you went vegan for a week, right? <laughs> no, 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 I'm sorry. This isn't a phase that I'm going through. This is a decision to change my life, to walk with Jesus every day until I see him face to face. I'm not just going through a phase because here's the thing. If you're kicking the tires on this, you're probably not going to make it six months from now. If you're like, oh, I'm trying to find something fun to do on Sunday mornings that would be kind of exciting, there are far more exciting things to do on a Sunday morning if you're strictly looking for pleasure and pleasure alone. If you're looking to rest and relax on your weekends and take Sundays off because it's your last chance to sleep in before Monday, you're never going to see the joy that comes from following Jesus. But I'm telling you this, if you put both feet in Jesus Christ, you will never be disappointed and the more consistent that you are, the more joy that you'll get, the more hope you'll experience, and the more enhanced your life will be with God's blessings. Just consistency. Final thought. Consistency in your walk with Jesus compounds your hope. Hope is one of those things like the magic of compounding interest in a savings account. Like your interest grows interest, Right? Your hope grows hope. I can't really explain it to you, but the more that you see God at work in your life, the more committed that you are to God, the more your love for God will grow, the more hope and encouraged you'll be, 
The more your faith will grow, as you see God begin to work and move in your life, you're like, oh, this is the good stuff. I want to do this forever. I want to do this for the rest of my life. Because walking with Jesus is where the good stuff is found. But then something terrible happens. You get a diagnosis from the doctors you weren't expecting. There's some drama going on in your marriage. You told people you're a Christian at work and I already make fun of you. Hmm. You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to choose to do the right thing anyways. Because God promised that there would be difficulties, there would be hard times, there would be suffering, but I'm just going to redouble my effort now during this time and I'm going to follow Jesus even harder. Oh man, that's when it's going to take off. That's when you'll see your faith continue to grow and grow and grow because hope compounds hope. And so, look, you and I have all the hope in the world at our disposal in the person of Jesus Christ. Most important thing in the world, if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, please don't hit those double doors in the back until you know for certain that your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.